we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. The Christ Conscious Believer has been quite a series. And, and a lot of the growth that some of you are talking about and giving praise reports of are really responses to the Christ Conscious Believer teaching. Because like I said to you when we started, it's what brings everything together. It just brings it all into perspective and gives clarity. All right, so let's go in. So today will be our 16th hallmark. We've gone through all of it. I'll just run through again. You know, we possess the mind of Christ. We possess the perceptions of Christ, right? We looked at the words Christ. We looked at the word conscious. We looked at the word believer. We explained Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing. We said to be conscious of means to be aware of and to appropriately respond, right? And a believer is one who believes in the particulars of the gospel, what Jesus did, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his glorification, and what that has brought all of us into. You know, and then we said if, if to be conscious, if, if to be conscious means to be aware of something and to respond to that thing, then when it has to do with Christ, we're looking at his person, his nature, his message, and his system. Yeah? The person of Christ, the nature of Christ, the message of Christ, and the system of Christ, these four things. And then we looked at the fact that Christ's consciousness is the only path to spiritual maturity. You mature to the degree that you are Christ conscious. So all of what, again, I repeat, all of what you are uh, um, referencing or alluding to as growth is really a response to your Christ consciousness. Not necessarily a response to fresh knowledge, but just heightened Christ consciousness. Heightened awareness of who and whose you are. Does that make sense? So your maturity is directly proportional to your Christ consciousness. Then we went on to say to know God is to see Christ, to see Christ is to know God. And we'll come back to that again in this evening's teaching because it's, it's fantastic. And then we looked at, we started looking at the hallmarks of a Christ conscious believer. Um, and we said, number one, the Christ conscious believer is grateful for the cross, right? Grateful for the cross. Jesus was crucified by design. Jesus was crucified on purpose. The cross was not an accident. Yeah, the cross did not happen because people just got frustrated with Jesus. It happened on purpose. It was the same people that spread, spread aprons and clothes and Hollandese and lace and all of that print for him to come in are the same people that were screaming, crucify him. And they didn't want to hear anything Pilate had to say, crucify him. Why? Because he was by design. He had been crucified. He had been slain from the foundation of the world and it just so happened that in a particular point in time he will be crucified the way that he was prophesied that he would because it's important if they prophesied that he will be crucified on a tree and then he was crucified by execution by firing squad would have had a problem would have had no salvation do you understand <laughs> if they broke one bone on his body on that cross would have all been in problem do you understand so the, the, the that statement that Jesus makes I come in the volume of the books as is written concerning me and so if you read Luke's account, the gospel according to Luke, you'll see where Luke is always saying, and this happened that it might be fulfilled what was written. You know, Luke was writing to a particular person. He was writing to Theophilus and he was writing to him that these things have been written that you might believe. Do you understand? The, the psychology behind how Luke wrote explains how he wrote. Do you understand? He was writing to Theophilus, 
One person, the same person he wrote the book of Acts to, or the letter of Acts to, right? So in writing his, his, his letter to Luke about Jesus, he's writing with the emphasis on getting this guy, saying enough as it were, just saying just enough to get this guy to believe that Jesus came and the particulars of the gospel that you hear are right. Does that make sense? So in chapter 1, you will see um, Luke chapter 1 verse 1. I just want to make that clear. Luke 1 and 1. In as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, so he's writing the book of Luke to one person. The theologians will say, well, Luke was written to the Greeks. It was not written to the Greeks. It was written to a Greek. Right? Oh, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. That's the purpose for which Luke was written. To bring, bring clarity to Theophilus who had received instruction in the gospel. Does that make sense? Most likely from the teachings of the likes of Paul. Because Paul said to write first. Some of these letters came between 50 to 80 years after the ascension. All right? From a, between AD 50 and AD 80 was when this guy started to write. Does that make sense? I've shown you some of these things. Where Peter is saying that, you know, people are twisting the writings of Paul to their detriment as they do the rest of the scriptures. So by the time Peter was writing, Paul's letters were in circulation, one. Two, Paul's writings were being regarded as scripture. So Peter says they twist them as they do the rest of the scripture. So it's very likely that Theophilus would have started hearing the particulars of the gospel from the likes of the teachings of Paul or at least the spillovers of Paul, right? And so Luke writes to him that he will receive understanding of the things in which he had been previously instructed. So every time that Luke is writing in the rest of his account, he's always writing that it may be fulfilled what was written. That it may be fulfilled what was written. Jesus comes in the pattern as, as was written concerning him. And in the season of imitate, it's important that we also pay attention to the pattern. And also come in the earth according to the pattern. Because you must do what needs doing in the pattern that it needs doing. If you don't freestyle about something, you have direct instruction about and a lot of times you struggle with that what does it matter what matters is that i did it but with the lord it's not that you did it it's that you did it how you were expected to do it does that make sense it's important so he, he was crucified by design he died by design he was abandoned he was scourged and he, he took our the, the the price and the beatings for our sins his spilled blood changed the, the, the covenants at his death the dispensations changed that was the first hallmark of a Christ-conscious believer, so we're grateful for what the cross did, right? Two, the Christ-conscious believer understands the twofold significance of the resurrection, and those two folds were the justification for our sins and our eternal security, yeah? If, if, if it is with what the Lord does, Ecclesiastes 3.14, that it shall be forever. If the Lord did it, it's forever. Except if it wasn't the Lord that did it. But if he did it, so it depends on what kind of salvation you have. Who did it? Uh, is who did it that determines the quality. If you can lose it successfully, then you, he didn't do it. For I know that what the Lord does, it shall be. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing 
taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. Amen. And that's beautiful. The veil was torn. We have access. Um, so we understand we, we, the two false significance of resurrection. And then number three, the Christ conscious believer acknowledges he had no part to play in the salvation plan. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because the quality of a product is determined by the quality of the ingredients. Soteria is my salvation truly forever. Do you remember that? Yeah. So we have everlasting life. I don't know about you. I have everlasting life. I have a life that cannot be lost, that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be taken away from me. There's nothing anybody can say to convince me. Otherwise, I have everlasting life. Because the life I have, the life is I live by the faith of the Son of God that loved me and gave himself from me. That's the life I now live. This life in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is out of eternal life that I'm living this life as a deposit. This life is not as it were distinct. I've explained this on Sunday. Your body will be shed. But it's because of the eternal life I have in hope that I can live this life with that one in view. It's because of the kingdom that is coming. Because you know, it's in the end of the age that it will be said that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's because of that physical, literal kingdom that is coming that this figurative kingdom exists in me now. I've taught us very carefully that, you know, sometimes we must be careful that the allegorical or the metaphorical does not cancel out the literal. The fact that Israel is a type of the church does not mean there's no nation called Israel. There's a nation called Israel. God has an agenda for the nation called Israel in spite of her type and shadow of the church. So we must be careful. There's something in theology called replacement theology where we take something and totally change the particulars of that thing to make it mean something else. And someday we'll, in another class, we'll delve into those, those things, those fine details. You know, we look at them, you look at ecclesiology in that regard, you look at soteriology, the study of salvation in that regard, you look at uh, eschatology, the study of the end times in that regard, you look at nomatology, the story of the Holy Spirit in that regard, you begin to look at ontology, the story of God in that regard, and see how people have taken one thing and then changed the particulars and do this and do this and do this and then end up with a thing that is totally different. From what it was, and we accept it as that, not from what the word says, but from how somebody interpreted it to make the word say what it never said to achieve a particular means. And you'll see how council sat hundreds of years ago and determined how do we interpret this scripture? Should we interpret this to mean like this? Oh, should we interpret it to mean like this? Okay, all in favor of this, say aye. And I'm telling you the truth a lot of what you practice as Christianity comes from democratic votes after arguments and people presented papers for and against. A lot of what church is doing today as sacrosanct Christianity, as religion, as what, what that, those are the things we're now referring to as the ancient landmarks, but they are not. The word is the ancient landmark. The word is the ancient landmark, not what somebody preached 20 years ago or 200 years ago. Not what a denomination started 50 years ago. The word of God rightly divided is the ancient landmark. And so it doesn't matter who it came from, if it does not correspond with the word of God understood in the light of Christ, it's wrong. It's error. Error. So that's replacement theology. Like, oh, no. no, God has no plan for physical Israel. You know, physical Israel is just a type and shadow. So you mean God put a whole physical people together just to show them something to the church and then make a waste of them. Make sense? So there's something is literal, it is also metaphorical or allegorical as the case. Maybe. 
So we had no part to play in the salvation plan. Um, we talked about the concept of original sin, imputed sin. I explained that to someone a while ago, Romans 5. You know, one, in, one man sinned, all man became sinners. One man became righteous, everyone in him, born of him, becomes righteous. Right? The standards cannot change. If I cannot be righteous because of what Jesus did, then I and God need to have a conversation because it means I cannot be guilty because of what Adam did. If Jesus' guilt, Jesus' righteousness is not my righteousness by default, then I refuse for Adam's sin to be my sin by default. Because that would be God being double standard. He blames me for Adam's sin and I wasn't there. Just because I was born of Adam. No matter how good I am, I'm a sinner. And then Jesus dies, second Adam. I am now born again. That's what he means. Born first by the first Adam, born again or from above of the second which is the last Adam. And then he's righteous and then you have a problem with me saying I am righteous by default because of Jesus. Because I was born of Jesus. But you don't have a problem believing that we're all sinners because we're born of Adam. What is wrong with you sir? Because the standards cannot be different. One Adam produces death, another Adam produces life. In the same way that the first one produced death. In the same way. So on this part, it's nothing to do with what I did. On this part, it's nothing to do with what I did. There will never be a reckoning of what I did for salvation. As far as salvation is concerned. Never. Our judgment shall never be for salvation. No child of God is standing in the presence of God to be judged for salvation. No child of God. And that's why that scripture says in 1 John 4, we'll come to that today if I have the time. That's why we might have boldness when? Boldness when? Boldness when? That's why we comfort one another with the good news of his return. Not persecute one another. For where fear is, there's torment. In the day of judgment. Because what we are going to be judged for, give account of, is our works in righteousness. Not works for righteousness. Do you understand? Where people zealous for good works. Works fitting for righteousness. In your righteousness. In what did you do with your talent? What did you do with the giftings? Would your works stand the test of time and that judgment? Or would they be burned with fire even though you will be saved? Scripture is clear. Scripture is clear. Number four, the Christ conscious believer is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that was a very large one. Number five, he appropriates the rights, benefits, and responsibilities of sonship. And we're gleaning from that now in the Imitate series with privilege of sonship. Number six, the Christ conscious believer walks in his royal priesthood status without apology. Because we are kings and we are priests of equal standing. No human being is high priest. No human being is chief priest. We have only one. The high priest of our confession. He's our high priest. He's our presiding priest. Number seven. The Christ conscious believer values and submits to discipleship. Values and submits to discipleship you're not a product of your own effort everybody's inadvertently wired for discipleship number eight the christ conscious believer is bound by and yielded to god's word in the light of christ only no mixture no negotiation you come into understanding at the point of obedience i taught you that the word of god is for obedience before it is for understanding 
Remember that? And that's crucial. The word of God. Your, the default state of a believer's response to God's word is to obey. Before you understand. I've told you how understanding comes at the place of obedience. Yeah, you understand what you know. You have to know it to understand it. There cannot be understanding in the absence of knowledge. So even when Paul is praying, he says that you may come into the spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of him. What are you understanding? The guy is Acts 8. Philip was caught up and met the Ethiopian eunuch on the way to Jerusalem. And the guy was reading Isaiah. Right? He was reading Isaiah. And there's nothing that suggests that that was the first time he was reading that thing. Because he was coming from Jerusalem where he went to worship. So he went to worship God in Jerusalem. Was coming from worshiping God. Should we go there? I'm just doing a recap. Then we're about to get caught up in a major diversion. <laughs> Acts chapter 8. From verse 26. I said understanding comes where there is knowledge. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And in some Bible history and in fact some translations translate Candace to be queen of Sheba. Or queen Sheba. Right? Some translations you find is actually referring to, to um, the queen of Sheba, the, of the lineage yeah, of the queen of Sheba. Who was, who was Ethiopian, in case you didn't know. Yeah? The Nubians were a mixture of Ethiopians and Egyptians. I'm just dropping some things, like Val said, you know, small, small things along the way as I teach. Yeah? <laughs> Not these Arabish yeah. Egyptians of today. Yeah? Egyptians were Nubians. They were black people. Great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasuries. So maybe chief of minister of finance or something, and had come to Jerusalem to worship who? God. So this guy already had knowledge of God, enough to do a pilgrimage from Ethiopia to worship him in Jerusalem. So knowledge was not his problem. Even if I have no revelation, I must have knowledge. So he goes to worship. He was on his way back from worship, go on, and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah. I mean, he just came from worshiping God. And in that age, there's only a few books that actually capture the severity of the nature and the magnitude of God. Like Isaiah. Who stretched the earth upon a curtain? Who drew its line? All that is in Isaiah. The, all, all the oceans are as a drop in a bucket is in Isaiah. Yeah? He measured the hills and each one, and he placed each one where the, in Isaiah from 41 to 44. So this guy had a good grasp of God as espoused in the book of Isaiah. Next verse. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot on foot. <laughs> so Philip ran to him and heard him reading out loud. Heard him reading out the prophet Isaiah, and then said to him, do you understand what you are reading? And the guy said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? So he had knowledge, but in the absence of the spirit, he had no understanding. It is a man's place to devise his way, scripture says, but it's the spirit of God that giveth understanding. 
He had knowledge. He knew. He knew enough to go and worship. He knew enough to be reading the Bible, but had no understanding. So don't mix the two up. And, and I know this was for somebody tonight. Don't, don't mix the two. And that comes at a place of being yielded to God's word in the light of Christ alone. Because he's the understanding of the scriptures. Right, Luke 24. Him and the, 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 the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Yeah, and he opened their eyes that they might understand the scriptures. Same thing, Luke 24 from 47, 48. He opened their eyes that they might understand or comprehend the scriptures. 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded or explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then he's now with all the disciples together beyond these two in, in 45. Um, first of all, he says, Oh, ye who are slow of heart to understand. Um, earlier in 25 and 45, you know, and he opened the understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He opened their understanding. So to know God is not enough. You must have understanding in the knowledge of him. Number, number nine, the Christ-conscious believer is evolving in his nature and character. Character as another one. Number ten, he's fixated on eternal realities beyond or more than earthly pursuits. Number eleven, the Christ-conscious believer is driven by a zeal to preach the gospel. Number twelve, he understands and does not despise the local church. I am the church. No, you are not the church. No singular person is the church. And we said, even Jesus by himself is not the church. Nobody is the church. We, together, are the church universal. Number 13, the Christ-conscious believer is giving to prayer. We pray just because. Just, just because. We pray just because. Number 14, the Christ-conscious believer spends and is spent for the kingdom. The Christ-conscious believer gives, gives, and gives again. And make that your mantra. I'm a, you know, I'm a minister. I give. Giving is my call. I give effortlessly. Number 15, the Christ-conscious believer is never without thanksgiving. We are grateful. We are thankful. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate catalyst for thanksgiving, for gratitude. And here we are at number 16 and the last. The Christ-conscious believer is a lover. The Christ-conscious believer is a Lover, the Christ conscious believer, basks in God's love and responds in kind. The Christ conscious believer basks in God's love and responds in kind. It is selfish and therefore carnal to enjoy God's love and not pass it on. It is selfish and therefore carnal to enjoy God's love and not pass it on. In fact, you will see how that if God loved you, which he did, and your response is concentrated on loving God back, you have missed it. Did you hear what I said? Oh, I love you, God. I love you. I want to spend all my time loving you. Forget the world. Forget everybody around. I just want to love you for how much you love. My friend, wake up. If you spend all your energy, and I drop statements like this so that if you are feeling sleepy, you can wake up. Teaching is serious business. Because are things you hear and you'll be like, whoa. If you were typing in something on your phone, you'll just freeze. Say, what now? 
I'm serious. He, God did not save you to love him. The Christ conscious believer basks in God's love, responds in kind. Are you ready? Here's my first statement officially in this part. God has never been seen. Nobody, sir, has seen God. Nobody, 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 no. Nobody. First Timothy 1, before you say, what is pastor saying? First Timothy 1 and verse 17. Open your Bible. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible. A prayer you pray every single time. Most times, shortly after somebody tells you, I just saw God. Eternal, we agree. Immortal, we agree. Invisible, uncle. To God only wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Go to chapter 6. Same Timothy, Paul is speaking. If you refuse to believe what Paul says, then you have problem with your salvation. Because it's Paul that tells you how you are saved. Paul. So be careful how you pick and choose what Paul is saying. Chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, and verse 16. It gets more interesting. Go back to 15, actually. Can we have fun? <laughs> I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. And before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, go on, 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, 15, which he, Christ Jesus, which he, Christ Jesus, will manifest in his own time. He, Christ Jesus, who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, because ours is a blessed hope, dwelling in unapproachable light. Look at this. Whom no man has seen or can see. No man has seen or can see. Praise God, he did not say, no man has seen nor will see. Whom no man has seen or can see. Mortality cannot see this. Let's stop being sentimental about our work with God. Mortality, this body of flesh, cannot grasp that. Because it is in that realm immediately outside carnality. No one has seen God. Not even Moses. Because God said, no man can see my face and live. I will hide you in the cleft of a rock. I will make my glory pass by you. And you will see my back. For no man can see my face. I saw God. He had white beer, beer flowing, six feet tall. He's shining light. He dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen nor can see. Keep your mouth shut and let the word be true. Oh, are you saying that people... No, see, you, everybody's entitled to their dream. Dreaming is free. I mean, hey... How many of you had serious type 1 malaria and typhoid when you're growing up? You will see train in the ceiling. 
you will see lion inside a water bottle. Hey, who saw those kind of things? If that's how they used to call themselves into ministry, the things I have seen. Like Paul said, it's not lawful for mama to utter. You are lying down, your ceiling will open when amoxicillin is entering you every four, four hours or every six hours, depending on what kind of typhoid you are fighting. Your ceiling will open and you'll be teleported. You see yourself in Narnia doing stuff, only you. What am I talking about? Don't look at me like that. Ah, no. Everybody can see you. Everybody is a seer. Everybody. Everybody is a seer. So, but your, your seeing, your, your optics are not doctrinal reality. We will not argue what you saw. But you cannot come and tell us what you saw is what God's will is for the church for all ages. You are a liar. I'm not saying don't dream, I dream. Dream, you saw yourself flying and then the wings just changed to aeroplane and then the aeroplane now changed to horse and then you now, you now heard a loud voice saying, I'll make you mount upon wings like you now saw one eagle changing color. The left wing was green, the right wing was yellow. You're now jumping, uncle, you are entitled to whatever you want to see. But what you see cannot become doctrine. That's why it's dangerous to start a ministry or start a church based on personal revelation. What started the church? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. That's what started the church. The absence of flesh and blood. What started the church? The revelation of Jesus. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Not upon your vision. Not upon your vision. So no man has seen God, sir. That's what scripture says. We cannot take your experience over scripture. No. Where we're talking scripture, your experience is too small. I don't care how big you are. In the light of scripture, your experience becomes small. Peter was with Jesus. Flesh and blood. Paul rebuked him in favor of doctrine. And Paul was never with Jesus physically. Paul was, in fact, shortly after Jesus resurrected, Paul, as Saul, was rounding up believers and having them killed. All the while convinced he was doing God's work. All along convinced he was doing God's work. But when Peter comes and starts to misbehave, he rebukes Paul, rather. Rebukes Peter to his face. And Peter now comes and starts to confess. He says, I know Paul's things are difficult to understand. When I take an easy with Paul. No, so Paul, Peter could have gone, my friend, I was with Jesus. Where were you when I was with Jesus? Where were you when I was sleeping with Jesus? Where were you when my mother-in-law was cooking for Jesus and feeding Jesus? Where were you when people were touching Jesus and I said to him, my friend, all of us are touching you. Why do you say who touched me? Where were you when I took out a, a knife and chopped off the chief priest servant's ear when they came to arrest him? Where were you when I was the one that saw that he's the Christ, the son of the living God? The exact same things we are doing today yes, when we are attacked. Yes, ah, no, no, no. How can you say that? How can you say that's a sacred cow? Don't move it. Peter should have said the same thing. But Paul rebuked him to his face. and said, you are walking in carnality and your carnality has caused Barnabas to fall. Stand in the Galatian church. This was my first statement. Look at all the heat that's opened. You'll be shocked at what you see right now. 
Galatians 2, verse 11. You see the strong words that Paul is using. Now, when Peter, this matter is serious. When Peter had come to Antioch, I, Paul, withstood him to his face. Please stay there, but go to TPT. When Peter visited Antioch, he began to mislead the believers and cause them to stumble over his behavior. So I had to confront him to his face over what he was doing. Stay there, go to the message. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. You see, this is what understanding does to you, son of God. Understanding, not what was handed down to you. Not what my pastor said. Not what our father said. Not what they taught us. Understanding. Seeing God how he intends to be seen. The way he intends to be seen. Not the way you want to see him. It's on account of that epignosis that Paul can say, Peter, what you're doing is wrong. And he's causing others to stumble in the name of Jesus. Go back to TPT. Verse 12. He enjoyed, as Peter, enjoyed being with the non-Jewish believers who didn't keep the Jewish customs, eating his meals with them up until the time the Jewish friends of James arrived from Jerusalem. When he saw them, he withdrew from his non-Jewish friends and separated himself from them acting like an Orthodox Jew. Fearing how it will look to them if he ate with the non-Jewish believers. Next verse. This is Paul Peter. Now because of Peter's what? Please King James. Some people believe only in King James. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. That's the Jews. Next line. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him in so much that Barnabas also was carried away by their dissimulation. Switch to New King James. We'll take it one by one. Verse 13, New King James. And, when the, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. You see, our allegiance is not to people. Our allegiance is to sound doctrine. Our allegiance is not to people. Our allegiance is to sound doctrine. And consequently, the people that disseminate them. It doesn't matter who you are. Peter was with Jesus and was out of line. So if you're out of line, sir, you should be, you should be able to be corrected and be told you're out of line. You should be able to be corrected. For the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. See, uncle, humble yourself. Oh. Yeah. Humble yourself. If anyone thinks he knows, 1 Corinthians 8, 2, he doesn't know as much as he ought to. Yeah. Calm down. Honestly, calm down. Because you can lead people for years in the honest deception of your encounter. You, you, you didn't get up and say, you know what? I feel like misleading 3,000 people for the next 20 years. No genuine person, no genuine person does that. No genuine person does that. People genuinely feel that like they're in ministry, helping people, but it's based on subjective knowledge. And it's beautiful for God to be able to, in his mercy, catch you. 
and say, come here, let's begin to straighten this thing out gradually. Gradually. And listen, this light, there are some fish that when it catch. So you know, see what I've always been telling you, that we all come to the unity. I keep telling you, don't say I'm better than anybody. No, 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 no. It's his church. He will fix his church. It's his church. He's whatever denomination, whatever it is, his church. If somebody is looking for truth, truth is looking for that person more than they are looking for truth. So stay with the word. It's safer to stay with the word. You look stupid. You'll be attacked. Because of what we have come to understand in the scripture. Not what my father taught me. And you say something, I will correct it on the basis of the word. It's not pride, it's understanding. Because some of us have been reading our Bible upside down for many years. Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen, nor will ever see. Because this is not a realm of the flesh. No man has seen. But he didn't say, no one will see. 1 John 3 and 2. 1 John 3, 2. What does it say? Behold, now are we the sons of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed... We shall be like him. See the next line. For we shall see him. So there is a scene of God that we do not yet see. But we shall. Listen to me, sir. Nobody has gone ahead of us to enter this shalim. Nobody. Nobody. If God showed it to you in a vision, he should show it to all of us. Because all of us are in this blessed hope together. It didn't say, for some of us have seen him. So it says, for we are sons of God. It does not yet appear. Oh, King James. It, it sounds nice in King James. This particular verse. KJV. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he, no man has seen God. Nothing, that is the truth. No man has seen God. He dwells on un, in unapproachable light, yes. But then we shall see him. And we shall be transmoglorified into him as we see him. Because this flesh cannot see him. This flesh cannot see him. There's an inheritance that we're still coming. It's loading. It's loading. As at now, therefore, no man, no man has seen God. No man. No man has seen God. And I dare add, no man has been judged for righteousness or damnation. It's coming. So our seeing God is yet a future hope. And oh, blessed hope. You know, so, so, so he has justified us and he has glorified us. But that's the same thing that he, Paul, uh, Paul would say in Colossians. This mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
So you are in glory, you are glorified, and there is yet a glory. The glory of when you see him and become as him. Of the same substance as Christ. Same essence as Christ. So remember when I said a long time ago, people got worried. When I said the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not forever. Some of you, spirit, spirit. You want to sing that for the rest of your life, for eternity. Spirit, Lord, you are welcome, Holy Spirit. No, 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 he's a deposit. He's a deposit. Like collateral. When we get there, he will come out the thing because now you yourself will look at him and become him. Not spiritual, substance. Substance, substance, not spirit. Substance, like substance Christ as he is. That's why we have the Holy Spirit there. That's what it means for him to be a deposit for our inheritance. You couldn't pay for something, you get them your phone and say, I'm coming back. You bring the money, bring extra you collect your phone. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. He's bringing us to that day where as he feeds us to the, and we see him, instantly we shall be changed. That's the last resurrection. We shall be changed. And then we shall see him as he is. How some will say, Fusca the Fusca. Pierce to pierce. Are you getting it? No man has seen God. But we shall see God. And yet, now, we see God. <laughs> the Christ conscious believer is a lover. Yeah? yeah stay, follow me on the journey. So if you are wondering, what does that have to do? No, this is not diversion. This is my teaching. This is my teaching. Just follow me. No man has seen God. We shall see God. But even now, we see God. Second Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 3. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphomai, into the same image from this glory to that glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there's a level of God we are seeing. Not in trances and dreams and visions. Not in I was caught up. The person that was caught up did not speak. Should we go there? Second Corinthians 12. You saw heaven, you can talk. Second Corinthians 12 verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know. Whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Who was caught up to the third, third heaven. And I know such a man. Whether in the body, I, I don't want to bore you with all of this ecclesiology. You, you see later on, you, you, you see where theologians say that the first heaven are the firmaments. You know, the scars, the stars, the galaxies, everything. Second firmament is the principalities and powers. You know, where the celestial bodies are. And then the third heaven is God's throne. 
When we reach there, we'll find out. Because I don't care if it's ninth heaven or twelfth heaven. Where the Father is is where I shall be. Doesn't matter what level of heaven. And how he was caught up into paradise. That's an issue now again. Third heaven, paradise. And heard inexpressible words. Which it is not lawful for a man to utter. I feel like ruffling some feathers there, but I'll leave it for today. Yeah? Yeah? Because the guy that died on the cross, and Jesus said today will be with me in paradise. Where did he go? That day, Jesus did not go to paradise. It's not things like this that make the Catholic Church introduce that false doctrine called purgatory. We don't, you see, there's a, there's a difference between knowledge and understanding. Today, you will be with me in paradise. But Jesus did not go to paradise that day. He died and was buried. If anything, where he went is the opposite of paradise. What is it that he ascended but that he first descended to the lower parts of the earth? <laughs> so where did the guy that died go that day? Or did he go anywhere? Or is what he received the blessed hope that today like this, what guarantees your eternity with me I've given you? Because we interpret it literally. Today you'll be in heaven. He, Jesus himself that is promising the guy heaven today did not go to heaven today. So he received the promise but did not receive it. He was given the promise at natural death. It is those kind of people that are the dead in Christ that will rise first. Oh, somebody died and went to heaven. Where did they go? Oh, but they say, Father Abraham, allegory or literal? Parable or reality? <laughs> Verse 2. Second Corinthians 12, 2. Yeah, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Stay in verse 4 and switch to TPT. Was caught up in an ecstatic experience and brought into paradise, where he overheard many wondrous and inexpressible secrets that were so sacred that no mortal, mortal, is permitted to repeat there. You, you say you went to, in the devil's kingdom, you were in level 666. Third heaven, Paul went. It's not, no mortal can talk. You, you went to sixth heaven. 999. Queen of the coast. King of the seas. And you can talk. Uncle, you just had a bad dream. And there is a reason. Listen to me now. It is descriptive and definitive why the New Testament is not contained in dreams. There's a reason why the New Covenant particulars were not handed down in dreams and visions. It's clear. Because in the Old Testament, someone who just dream and wake up and say, this is who God is. Something will happen to Job. Job will get up. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Where? Does he take away what he gave? When we know him as the father of lights, in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning, the God that gives and takes away is not the father of lights. 
So choose who he is to you. If to you he is the God that gives and takes away, fine. You and him run all the eateries in town. But to us he's the father of light in whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. The gifts and callings of God, that's the God we have understanding of, are without repentance. Not repe Listen to me, not repentance of you. It's not saying that you can repent of it. It's saying what God gave you. God cannot change his mind about it. What's not the parents referring to you? Is it your gift that you can repent of? Is it your gift? The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He was saying that regarding Israel's salvation, that if God has given it to them, no matter how long it takes them to run away from it, they cannot run away from it because God does not do refund. If God gives, if he does not take it back, it is without repentance. I made a post last year along those lines. I said this salvation comes with no refunds. And it comes completely at owner's risk. The gift, it's not, it's the gift and currency of God is not referring to your money, your car, your job. This gift of salvation, this gift of righteousness is irrevocable. God cannot change his mind about it. There's a reason why it's not contained in dreams and visions. Somebody will just get up and dream, you know? And you get up and say, oh, God is this. God is that. God is Jere. God is because I saw angel. He's Lairoi. God never introduced himself by those things. He says, the son of God has made him known. The moment God was ready to introduce himself, he sent the person to introduce him. Everything else is invalid. You just had a bad dream. You saw, you saw, you saw this, you saw that, you saw, you saw. It's okay. It's okay. You just had a dream. Second Corinthians 4, 6. We see him now in the knowledge of Jesus. For God... You can, James. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. What did he shine in our hearts to do? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus that Moses could not see. This is just a chapter after chapter 3. It's a continuation of the conversation. Now we can look at the TPT. Same verse. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus. So Jesus is how we see God until we see God. Did you hear what I said? Jesus is how we see God now until we see God. Because when we see God, we shall see him as God is. Not just, as it were, as Jesus explains him. Because when we see him as he is, that light that was unapproachable becomes our light in the day and night. No interface. No mediator. Can you handle some of the things I'm saying? When we see God, yeah. When we see God, that is the end. Hear me carefully. That's the end of right hand of the Father. Because everything subsumes now into God. And us seeing him as he is and becoming as he is. Because at the end of the age, only one thing will survive. God. At the end of the age, it is an insult to say God is forever. Hell is forever. 
It is lack of understanding of scripture to place the eternity of God along with the eternity of hell. Go and read in Revelation 20 what happened to hell. You see that hell, Hades, and death were cast into the lake of fire. And then the lake of fire passes away with the earth. And a brand new earth that does not have hell in it drops from God in Revelation 21. We have to learn the word rightly. How can God be eternal when he's, he's the end of everything? And then there's something there. Only one thing will, on the day of the Lord is called the day of the Lord because only one thing is in the day, the Lord. And us as the Lord, seeing him as he is. Because now we have to consult Jesus, imitate. Are you, are you with me? We have to consult Jesus, okay. Okay, Jesus. So this is, we know God because of what Jesus did. We know God because of what Jesus said. We know God because of how Jesus acted. So Jesus is our pointer to God. Jesus is our pointer to God. That's why he's the pattern son. He's the first fruit of, from the dead. Firstborn of many brethren. He's the first fruit. And then when, we, when he delivers us, that's why the Holy Spirit is there. When he delivers us to the Father. Son, praise you. Thank you very much. You, you will look around and might not be able to find or recognize the son. Because all of us are as he is. All of us are as he is. So that is the blessedness of the hope with which we see him now. In the face of Jesus. In the pattern of Jesus. In the message of Jesus. In the system of Jesus. Are you following me? I'll give you one more scripture. Can I give you one more scripture? John chapter 1 verse 18. New King James. No one has seen God at any time. Eh? We, we, we are still on the matter. <laughs> uh, is it not clear? Please poke in James. <laughs> no man hath seen God at any time. That is emphatic. It's not a suggestion. No man has seen God at any time. But look at the next line. Only the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, has declared him. New King James. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. At this time that John was writing. Where was Jesus? Which dispensation of Jesus was he referring to? Only begotten. That's homework for you. We, we take your time and be looking at the, the word. You opening your eyes in the eyes of your understanding and look at it. <laughs> the only begotten of the Father has Declared him. No one has seen God at any time. So guess what? The declaration of Jesus is the revelation of the Father. In other words, Jesus gives definition to God. Does that make sense? I can, that's how I can sit in my office and you come to the front office and I will send. In those days, we didn't have mobile phones. We still to communicate. We still have social media. We had our, our younger ones that would turn to Korea. So you write a note, send it. Your younger one will wait for them to read it. And then reply it and send it back. <laughs> so you had no social media, you had no mobile phones or nothing. 
Now, if we spent a whole day going back and forth, 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 you can say of a truth that you know me. Even if I didn't come out of my office to address you. Every information you, you need about me as, as, as regarding a particular thing, you can say confidently at, by some level that you know. Because I keep sending somebody to you. And you are even convinced that Pav is in the office. Because somebody can enter the office and I'm not, in, I'm not there. And you just want them to enter the office and give a message to Pav. So they enter and call me. And I tell them what to say. And they come out and say, Pav said. And you'll be convinced Pav said. In fact, in some cases, the person can even enter the office and just come out and not call me. And I'm not there. And just tell you what they think I said. Or say anything I say Pav said. Jesus is how we know God. Jesus is that errand boy. That data link. That fiber optic. That is constantly bringing downloads of the Father. So Jesus explains God. We know of God, we know God, we can say we have a robust relationship with God because of what Jesus shows us. That's why it takes believing. Believing is the assurance that Jesus is not lying. Because not only they see God, sir, whatever Jesus tells us of the Father, is what we got to believe the Father is. That's why without faith, you can't please him. That must, must come to God must believe that he is. He exists. Necessity. Jesus is the quintessential explanation of the Father. In other words, there's no knowing God outside Jesus. Are you following me? The Bible is not how you know God. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees were teachers of the Bible and did not know God. The chief priest was chief priest of the temple and did not know God. Jesus told them in John 5, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that testify of me. The scriptures you are searching for eternal life in. I am the eternal life that they were talking to you about. I'm standing here in front of you. You are looking for me in the scriptures. These are they which testify of me. Remove your nose from the book. I am what the book is saying. So to read the Bible and miss Jesus is to miss everything God has to say. Everything God has to say. To read the Bible and to miss Jesus is to miss everything God has to say. He has nothing to say outside Jesus. Jesus explains the Father. John 1.18, the, the only begotten Son has revealed Him. Jesus came at Part of his ministry for being manifest is to reveal the Father. Enough of you interpreting him according to how you like. Jesus came to set the record straight of the Father. Are you here? 
Jesus makes God known. Jesus is the knowledge of God by his spirit. Jesus is the understanding of God by his spirit. So to know God is to see God in the face of Jesus. To know God is to be Christ conscious. Yeah, to be Christ conscious is to know God. <laughs> That's why he said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one cometh to the Father except through me, Jesus. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's a reason why Jesus did not say, I am a way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the door. If you try to come in from a window, you are a thief and a robber. John 10. It's not ambiguous. Jesus is not one way. No, Jesus is not a way. He is the way. He's how the Father is known. To see and be conscious of Jesus is to know God. Are we here? Now, against this backdrop, the Christ conscious believer is a lover. First John 3. No one has seen God. No one can see God. But sons of God will see God. And we'll see him, which is our blessed hope, but even now we see him as explained in Jesus. Don't forget the words I use, knowledge, understanding. Are you there? Okay, First John 3, from verse 16. By this, we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Adelphos. Imitate. C17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God Abide in him. Stay in 17 and go to the TPT. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need, fellow believer, and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? The message. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears. And you made it disappear. Go back to New King James and let's, let's go on to verse 19. Verse 18. My little children, John says, let us not love in word as in mere word or in tongue in mere speech. But let us love in deed and in truth. Now look at this, 19. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Not by this he knows. By love you know that you are of the truth. 
If you have the truth, you will know. And this is how. So it turns out that love, agapeo, it is your own ability, as it were, to know how much truth you are in. Love is how you know how much truth you are in. Oh, but God, I love you. I love you, Lord. Yes, praise God. We'll find out if that's the love he's talking about. Go to chapter 4. And we'll start to have this love talk. So we can have this love walk. See verse 7. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love. Hold up. Love is how you know that you are in the truth. And that love is not love for God. Love God all you want. It does not show the level of truth in you. Love God all you want. It does nothing to show the level of truth. How do you know truth in you when you love me? When I love you? Mm-hmm. Whenever God talks about the people loving, the object is always one another. Now, master, master, what is the greatest commandment of all? Oh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and might and soul and strength. Oh, hold up. The second one is just like the first. Love your neighbors yourself. So in other words, there's one commandment, love. God, show it in people. Full stop. It's not love God, love people. It's love God, show people. If, they, if you want to love, love the people. Show it, show it, show it to this person. And the scripture is right there, just in case it sounds I'm going ahead of myself. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Beloved, let us love one another. You know that song? For love is of God, and he that loveth not knows not God. For God is love. Same thing, King James. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. You see, hold hands. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4 7 and 8. <laughs> Beloved. I always pray to be shouting, Yeah, that's my side. Love. And we had no clue. No clue that what we're singing is the, listen to me, is the summation of your entire response to the gospel. Your entire response to the gospel is summed up in love people. People. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. In other words, this is how God showed us love. Otus. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. Keep going. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we love God. Before you say, Pastor, what are you saying? 
Please, how does the TPT put verse 10? We'll come back to New King James. Let's see it in verse 10. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love. Not ours. New King James. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he, go on, loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 11, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love God. But that's what the church has been teaching. If God so loved us, we also ought to love. It's very clear in scripture. Your reciprocation to, to God's love is to give it to me. God don't need it. It is hypocritical to think that you are loving God and you don't have time for God's people. After all, they didn't die for my sins. After all, it's God that saved me. God is my Lord and personal Savior. And I've told you over and over that Christ is not anybody's personal Savior. Not anybody. You don't sit anywhere. He's not anybody's personal Savior. Now he's our community Savior. Our area Savior. Yeah. Man, claim monopoly of Jesus as your personal Savior. You know, he didn't come to save any personal. He saved the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not you personally. He's not your personal savior. All of us are sharing savior. All of us. In equal measure. All of us is now our area savior. Nobody's left out. So if you are saved and you, and you have enjoyed the love of God, you show it to your neighbor of the household of faith primarily. So you are a legend. You are a genius. If you can be in church and walk in hate. It's usually afraid of not the, the priest in the shrine. If this is how God loved you, then this is how you ought to love one another. If you don't understand honor, you will struggle with this. But if you paid attention to the honor code, then you realize that what this means is that any love you think God deserves for what he did for you, I am the one that deserves it. You will change how you treat me. A lot of you just repent already tonight, like instantly. For trivializing your brother. Because God is saying to you that, man, think of all I did for you. Think of how much love I, I showed you. Now, here's how I, God, not how you feel like responding. Here's how I, God, expect you to respond. Give that reciprocation to your brother. The honor you will give Jesus where he here now. Jesus says, take that thing that you want to convince me in worship. Lord, I love you. And I leave my voice to He says, give it to gift. You see, this is where the church has a problem. Everybody is loving God. Nobody is loving one another. You get insulted for loving one another. Yeah. What are you doing? Hanging with each other all the time. Being with each other. Being cozy with each other. You know, all the time you are with together. It's you and God. God didn't tell you to do that. No, but you know, we have, we have been made to believe that showing our gratitude to God is serving God. And again, I've told you, where can you show me one place that he saved you to serve him? He served you. He served you to save you. Because he took on the form of what? The form of what? what? What does a servant do, sir? 
The guy said himself, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. To serve who? God. Me. To save me. Oh, we are saved to serve. Lie. So you know, it, it doesn't matter who I offend, as long as I'm serving God. Talk to me now, don't look at me like that. It doesn't matter who is offended. After all, I mean, as long as I'm serving God. It's God. It's God for everybody for himself. God for us all. I'm not living for anybody. I'm living unto the Lord. That's how a self-absorbed, religious-induced person sounds. Even when they are forming new creation reality. Cannot. You cannot say, I love God. Oh, look at how much God did for me. So it you don't need it. He didn't save you for reward. He saved you so you can be a, an, a dispenser, a disseminator of the same love you have received. That's all. You cannot be a son. You cannot be in truth and not be walking expressly in love. It is, it is just practically impossible that's what John means when he says, in this, you know that you are in the truth. Do you understand? Because the truth, it's not possible to be in truth. Because what brought you into truth? Love. And not be able to walk in love. I don't know how to show love. You don't know how to receive salvation. It's not your village people that teach you how to love. It's not how you were brought up that teaches you how to love. It's the love of God. God shed abroad in your heart. You know me, I don't know this love thing. I don't know how to express all this love thing. I'm not very ready. My friend, shut up. That's carnality speaking. That's a man that is confessing he has refused to allow a particular faculty of his life to be subject to the spirit of God. It's only people like that that sound like that. I don't know how to talk about love. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to show love. I don't know how to express. What you're saying is I don't know how to dispense and enjoy what God did in Christ. So you're reducing all that Jesus did to your temperament. All that Jesus did has come down to, this is how I am. I don't need to talk. It means you don't know who you are. You don't know. You don't know. Because if you know who you are, then you know that you are empowered for every good work. Every good work is a love thing. Let's go on. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, verse 11, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. 12. Again. Yes, sir. The Christ conscious believer is a lover, aka no one has seen God. <laughs> no one have you seen it now? Has seen God at any time. See where I started from? If we look at this, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected. Us loving one another. Is the ultimate showcase of God's love. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, that love of God is perfected in us. 
We are distributing dimensions, flows of God among ourselves as we love one another. Enjoying the God kind. Go on to the next verse, verse 13. We're going all the way to verse 21. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him. By this we know that he abides in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son a Savior of the world. Stay there and go to TPT. 14, TPT. Moreover, we have seen with our own eyes and can testify to the truth that Father God has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Not personally. Next verse, 15. Those who give thanks that Jesus is the Son of God, living God, and God lives in them. 16. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love. And we trust in the love he has for us. Stay in 16 and go back to New King James. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Conversely. And we have known and believed the love God has for us. God is love. And he who does not abide in love, I said conversely, does not abide in God. Neither does God abide in him. So how is God known among ourselves? By the expression of his love. Do you now understand, am I in word and life? Do you now understand why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love. In other words, sir, loving me carries more weight as to your love of God or your response to God's love than speaking in tongues. You can show up in church all righteous and <laughs> bless you. Church, choking, praying tongues and then walk around and carry your nose up. Like you sponsored the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm walking around and saying, you know what? I'm a son. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and say, I am. For my mama's womb, you have chosen me. Can you see how you sound? Love has called my name. There is nothing that shows your regard for God's love like your love for me, sir. And this is where the church is so twisted. Yeah, we are yeah. caught up in trying to love God. Let God see that we love him. That's why you can't worship and smile. You feel like you are, you are a sinner to be in church and smile. Why should I smile for you that you are who? Why should I smile? Look to your neighbor and give them a smile. Huh? That's what happened. I did pay my house rent. Why should I, why should I smile for my neighbor? Did I come to church for my neighbor? Yes. You did not come to church for God. You don't need to come to church to be with God. What did you come for? Oh, that's where you are. That you left your house. 
enter taxi to go to church service and find God? Do you not know that your body is 1 Corinthians 6 at the temples of the Holy Ghost in whom he dwells? In whom he dwells? He dwells in you. You are God's lively stones. You are God's building. 1 Corinthians 3.9. Put it up. You are God's building. You are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's... I came to the presence of God. No! You came with the presence of God. You came with. So we gather as church for koinonia. Fellowship. He's not trying to host God. He's trying to host believers. Sons. Sons. This meeting is about you. It's you. It's all about you. Really? Yes. Really. That's ministry. Diakonia. Service. We are so caught up in self-righteousness. Self-consciousness. Self-conceitedness. It's all about me and my, me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God. That's an antichrist spirit. The spirit of God's son doesn't ever say me and God. Now you see why I keep telling you until Nigerian African tradition dies. You will not see God the way he intended to be seen. We're too caught up in ourselves. As long as it's not affecting you, they're fine. And then you now turn into testimony. Others died. Others woke up this morning and did not make it to the end of the day. But me, oh, if not for your mercy. So God wasn't merciful to the person that died? No, whether we live or die, we die to the Lord. We live to the Lord. God is not less merciful to somebody because they died before you. And he's not more merciful to you because, oh, you live to see the end of the year. So the ones that didn't live to see the end of the year then, their own God, Jehovah, was a, was a fake God. Why did Paul then die? Why did Peter die? No, Jesus, we can say well, he's died. he was dying for our sins. The John that they boiled him in oil and he did not die. Why did he last, last, still die? If death is such a bad thing and death is how we measure who God is good to, then God was bad to all the disciples because all of them died and none of them died well. Crucified upside down, fed to lions, boiled in water, burnt alive at the stake, died all kinds of... That means God was terrible to all of them. The measure of God's goodness is in how people die, how long they live. But around here, God is good to you just because you woke up and you're alive, your neighbor is dead. They buckled all the houses in our streets. They did not touch mine. Because our sticker said, I am too blessed to be frustrated. <laughs> I was wearing our transparent, uh, our monochronic uh, life jacket. It was on my table. They couldn't see it. For he causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. The same God that is the reason why you are alive is the same God that is the reason why the unbeliever is alive. Same God. In theology, it's called common grace. The elements of God that everybody enjoys just because he created everybody. Oh, many are dying. Many are perishing. That's not how we measure God's goodness. Oh man, I just came here. I didn't come to church for anybody. I just came, I just came for the Lord. I just came for the Lord. You, you, didn't, you didn't need to come here. You and the Lord can stay in your house. In this church, we don't need you if all you are coming here for is the Lord. Because in this is love. If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. By this, we know God is love. And he who abides in God, abides. He who abides in love, abides in God. And God 
in him. That love, we have established which love it is now. My love is your love. Your love is my love. And that's the love we're talking about. Yeah. 17. Have, have that at the back of your mind as we read this next verse. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this. Switch to TPT. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. In this is love. God loved you. In this is how God loved you. God gave Jesus. That love of God, perfected in Jesus, has been perfected in us in this way, that as Jesus is in the world, so are we. Wait, in the context of what? Love. So 1 John 14 that says, for as he is, so are we. The immediate context is as love as he is, so also are we in this world. We are the love of God revealed now in the world as Jesus was to us. Are we like Christ in other dimensions? Absolutely. But the immediate pretext of this, the context of this is in the context of love being perfected in us. The perfection of love in us. We are fearless at the day of judgment. Why? Because as Jesus was love, revealing the love of the Father, so are we love, revealing the love of the Father to one another. As he is, who is he? The epitome of God's love. So are we. What are we? The epitome of God's love. One to another. Verse 18. There's no fear in love. Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm afraid of... If I, if, I, if, I, if I behave like I really am in church, they will see me finish. We need to see you in total. Listen to me. Look, you have no right to be yourself anywhere. If you're not yourself in the gathering of the saints. Oh, you laugh, just not in church. Church is not the place for laughter. Where's, where's the place for laughter? Because we must be careful, again, our theology is in this new age. You know, ah, you gather and you make people laugh. No, where should we make them laugh? No, we don't gather to laugh. But it's okay if we laugh when we are gathered. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. We don't dress up to come. What, uh, we, if we are coming, we might as well look nice. There's nothing wrong with it. We don't gather to eat. We do, but not in that sense. Because we gather to eat food. We do. Yeah. Food in eating is a very, very crucial part of church being. <laughs> food, food, physical food. Nothing brings people together like food. Jesus knew it. Used it. If you can't be yourself in church, oh, if I, if I talk now, they will now see the way I really talk. It, it, see, it's very expensive to have two personalities. In this day and age, where things they cost? It's very, very costly to maintain two different personalities. I mean, you have money to have clothes for church and clothes for the world. Eh? 
Wow. You have house clothes, church clothes, work clothes. Only you. No, how can I, how can I, how can I, I cannot wear this to church. Don't wear it at home. Don't, you are a hypocrite. If you wear something at home that you cannot wear to church. Oh wait, God is not in the, in the house. God is only in the church. It's only in the church you will see it. Don't wear trousers to the house of God. But you can wear trousers in your house. Your house is not the house of God. You wear it to the market. You go everywhere around in the taxi. When you're about to come to church, you now cover your head. No, no, I'm going to the, to the church. No, we are the church. We, we, we. Not the building. We are the, we are lively stones. We are the house of God. Pav, are you saying, I am saying what I'm saying? Let God be true. You're wearing shirt. You're wearing trousers. And it's time, time for, for church service. You change that trouser to another trouser. And that shirt to another shirt to go to church. Something's wrong with you. I'm not saying, no, I'm revering God. The God you're revering is in your body. Not a building. Don't put it on your body if it's not worthy of God. Don't. Don't put it on your body and hope that God is looking the other way because nobody church we day. What, what, kind of, what kind of Christianity are we practicing? What, what, do you understand? What, what, what are we practicing? No, God is not, God is not minding now. Now house we day, now, now school we day, now class we day. Now work with day, God doesn't, God doesn't mind, God doesn't see. The only time God will sit and take offense is when we now wear the same thing to church. God will not kill you anywhere. He will not do anything to you anywhere until you dare step into another building called church. And so what we have done now is we have created a bunch of believers that cannot come to church because they close work late. And they not have the time to go home and change and bath and wear the one that will make them look nice in church. So they would rather just give up and just go home and abdicate a service because of physical appearance. And go home. Oh, how can I wear this? But you wore it all day. And it did not stop you being a child of God. Okay, you were just not in the church. I wasn't appropriately there. Who, who do I help? Peter says clearly, let your adornment not, in the, not be in the outer adornment, but in the innermost adornment of the spirit of your heart. Oh, pastor, you saying we can wear whatever we like? I'm saying whatever you wear should be fitting in season and out of season. That's what I'm saying. If you can wear it anywhere, wear it anywhere. If your breast is too much open, it doesn't matter where you are, it's too much open. Do you understand? It's too much open. And we don't, you don't need to sell your breast for us to know that you are worthy of marriage. But we, but we don't we not come and use a whole teaching to teach you how to dress. Yeah. That's not what we are called to do. Yeah. We are called to show you light. Light will tell you how to appear. Because you two, you have a problem if you would dress skimpily elsewhere. Wear it to church. Let us see it. Let's know this is who you are. And let's be knowing how we are praying for you and helping you. Yes, bring, I want to see it. I'm serious. We are raising hypocrites in church. No, come to church. Come. We will love you as you are. We will take you to the corner and say, Sister love, praise God, you look hot. No lie. It's hot. But, Romans 14. Romans 14, 14. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. So the word unclean is relative. The word unclean is subjective. 
Hey, but you still yourself. See, why did you go out there wearing his skirts above the knee? Okay, sir. The people that the two-year-old that was raped, who has nothing, what did she wear? What did she show? Before you pack the past the box, it's a demonic influence that informs somebody to respond to that kind of thing. By you say, what are you wearing? It should help the guys by what are you wearing. The guy is stupid. And the guy is stupid. The fact that you see some skin doesn't make it your skin. Because what you are saying is you are so loose and so livid and so irresponsible that any skin that is on display is yours to harvest. You are an idiot. And the church has to stand up and say it for what it is. You are. If you, you, you will not repent, you will be castrated. I'm not joking. These are God's precious people you are messing with. Come on, force yourself on anyone because, hey, hey, you too, why did you dress that way? You too, why do you feel that way? Why do you see that way? Remove the plank in your eye. And stop victimizing people. It's not a man's world. Let sisters have liberty. Let them be free to know that it's not because of what I did or said. A pervert is a pervert. It doesn't matter how you color it. A pervert is a pervert. Hausa girls covered from top to bottom with just a place in their eye. They will still catch them and rape them. I'm telling you, it's what she wore. It's what she put on display. What does the four-year-old girl have that was on display? Seven months, seven days. Babies. And that's why you cannot come and victimize somebody in church. It is, this is a safe heaven for God's people, when life has dealt with you, whatever life has done to you, you should be safe here. You should be safe here. God will fix you here. He will mend you here. He will heal you here. He will deliver you here. He will break the addiction here. He will mend the broken heart here. He will heal your body here. Nobody else can do it. Listen, this healing is not what a therapist can do. No psychologist can do this. No doctor can do this. And that's what church is here for. We're safe here. Let everybody that needs, that needs to take responsibility, take responsibility. Nothing is unclean in itself. Somebody can see a woman absolutely naked and choose to not be offended or walk in lust. It's your choice. And then guys walking around thinking, oh, ladies, 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 show themselves. You that wear a t-shirt and show your six-pack, you don't think he's doing something to a lady. No, guys, never think about it. You put your stuff, your, your chest is out, your nipples are out, your, your dry hair are all over the place. And you don't realize that there's a sister who already has a warped sense of masculinity and measures a masculine man by his chest and his hair who begins to walk in lust. Because you trigger something by how you appeared. You think it's only ladies. Let's fix this nonsense in church. So things that we don't want to talk about in church, we are afraid. Not here. This is God's love headquarters. The church. The church is God's love headquarters. We should be safe here. If we can't be safe here, we can't be safe anywhere. 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 If we can't be safe in church. And that's why the society is so messed up. You can't be safe in church. You're not safe anywhere, sir. And love is perfected in us in this way. That we are bold in the day of judgment. For as he is, 
as love as he is, as sacrificial as he is, as selfless as he is. So are we. Let's go back. Let's finish this. Nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him. To him. To him. So you can't be judging somebody. Oh, if I eat beans, I purge. Yeah, how can you purge? That's the Nigerian thing. How can you purge beans? How can beans? No, beans is my favorite meal. To you, it is what it is. Let it be to somebody else what it is. These things don't define our faith. They don't define our faith. They don't color our salvation. 15. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food or anything else, you are no longer walking in love. So you cannot dress for yourself to the expense of your brother. You cannot. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. TPT, that's instructive. Verse 15. If your brother or sister is offended because you insist on eating what you want, it's no longer love that rules your conduct. Why would you wound someone for whom the Messiah gave his life just so you can eat what you want? Just so you can wear what you want. Is this love that made Jesus say, you know what, I want this cup to pass by me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Love in church is also not my will, but that what is done is for the betterment of all of us in totality. What does it profit you? See verse 16. And we'll go back to 1 John 4. So don't give people the opportunity to slander what you know to be good. Go back to New King James. See it in New King James. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. It is good. We're not saying it's evil. It is good, but don't allow it to be spoken of as evil. In other words, be mindful of, the liber- of exercising the liberties you have. But that is not to say that we now put everybody in bondage. No. It is for liberty he set us free. But don't let your liberty be occasion for carnality. Don't. And this goes for everybody. First John 4, we're in 18. First John 4, 18. There's no fear in love for perfect love. Cast out fear. For fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love because we've not been given the spirit of fear. First, first Timothy 2, 9. But of love, power, and sound mind. We love him because he first loved us. 20. If someone says... I love God. Before you say, Pa, what have you been saying? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Put in the TPT. We'll take it piecemeal. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred towards another believer. This makes him a phony, a fake, a fraud. Because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God? You see where I started from? Because no one has seen God at any time. But loving God reveals him. Don't bother loving a God you have not seen. You have not seen him. And he knows you have not seen him. So he says love the one you can see. While you are hoping for the one you will see. Did you hear what I said? It's okay to love tangibility. We are waiting for the blessedness of that hope. You have no, man, no man has seen God at any time. But you, I see you. I love you. In loving you, I'm, I'm giving tangibility to what is otherwise intangible. Are you here? Message, please. If anyone boasts, I love God. 
and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it. He's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? Oh, we love you, Lord. 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 This is the love. Love is this way. The love is this way. Love is this way. It's horizontal. It's this way. It's this way. It's revealed in this way. It's perfected in this way. As it is, we are this way. Look at me and love me. Look at your neighbor and love them. Come to church and drop the air of superiority. Drop the air of I'm better than everybody else. Drop the air of don't touch me. Don't do this to me. You don't know what kind of day I've had. This is why we gather. His love is perfected, you know. And so we go out of our way to love each other the way he went out of his way to love us. You never struggle with forgiveness again. You just give blanket forgiveness in advance. I'm not saying you will not feel hurt. You will. I promise you. Church, us. Hey, you don't know us? Adelphos. We will get on your last nerve and then the next one. After your last nerve is when you understand that after your last nerve, another nerve exists. Otherwise, we are not called church. No, we know they disappoint. No, 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 no. We don't disappoint. We will wind you. There's somebody that will wind you. Now, woe to the person. I'm not saying it's acceptable to, to be foolish. I'm just saying that as long as we're in this body of flesh, somebody will offend you. No, settle for it. Somebody will offend you. Somebody will say something to you. That, and, and then sometimes people think through their mouth. Somebody intends to compliment you. They just go, ah, so when you wake up, this is the only dress you saw to wear today. Yeah, yeah, church. Because everybody is trained differently. And you say, what, what's wrong with the dress? No, it's, it's not like there's anything wrong with it. Too. I'm just, I'm just saying, we plenty. That's why you must imitate. Do you understand? Some, some, some people just don't know how to compliment. Watch somebody that knows. Follow. It's not difficult. We were made for love. Because we were made from love. Please say together, we were made for love. Because we were made from love. The church has a long way to go. If I say to you now, turn to your neighbor. I'm not saying say. I say, if I say to you now, turn to your neighbor and say to them, I love you. Half of you will start laughing. Because as Africans, we have become so desensitized to love response. You think it's a joke. Start to laugh. Some of you will think it's for weaklings. What was Jesus? If Jesus was a macho man, would he have died for you? If Jesus was forming almighty, would he have died for you? But he made himself lower. Philippians 2.5 Made himself lower than even the angels he created. Made himself lower than Elohim. Made himself little. This think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus. Okay, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Go on. Who? Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be with God. Go on. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, God, becoming a man. And then you, a man, cannot even act like a man. I'm a man. A God became man. For you. I'm a man. Men, don't talk like that. You are silly. 
Grown women don't talk like that. Our husbands ought to know that we love them. You are silly. I can't be grateful. I can't be thankful. He, he ought to know that I'm thankful. You are silly. Not by now. He, he, he needs to know that I love. I don't have to tell him every time that I love him. I don't have to tell him. No, 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 no. We were made for love. For love. For, for love. And if, you, if, if I'm saying love and you're hearing carnality, that's what will kill you. You notice you're the only one laughing. I'm telling you the truth. He that digs a pit will fall into it. And it's not God punishing you. I am not saying carnality. I'm saying agapeo, the preference of God over another person. What will make you go out of your way to ensure that the other person is fine? That's love. What you will do to make sure someone is comfortable. Not to exploit somebody for your own personal benefit. No. Love is more than a kiss and a hug and a hard on and an orgasm. That's, that's base level. Those things are actually overrated, especially in the absence of understanding. That's base level. Love is spirit. Love is a connect. You drift, you, you feel like, and then you are here. You realize, this person is in my heart. You just said to, this person is in my heart. It doesn't matter what I do. And, and you know what? As much as I hate to admit this right now, it doesn't matter what they do. That's why you're in love. But you just, you just settle. Okay, this is love. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision you make to stay committed to someone because of what Jesus did. That's the only bedrock for love. Love is never based on performance. Nobody loves because you are deserving. Are you hearing me? No. We extend love and you can grow into it. You will abuse it first. But you will grow into it. It's a decision based on what Jesus did. A commitment. Jesus died for you. Then Jesus gave us the privilege of being in the same clan. You are VIP. That's the end. That's the end. He died for you, died for me. Then put us together now in the same family. Uh, that's all. But can we be a love people? Can we be a love people? And that's the height of spirituality, you realize? Speaking in tongues is great. It's fantastic. Pray. It's wonderful. But the height of spirituality, the height of truth, the height of revelation is love. If I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, and this is not love for God, love in this manner somebody live here determined determined to fall in love that's what needs us together that's what shows the love of the father and it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing to honor the person next to you the way you will honor Jesus is if he were here no difference host them the way you will host Jesus Honor them the way you will honor Jesus. Imagine Peter being offended at Jesus. He was like, ah, because he's you, master. If it was not you, rabbi. I'm sure you can picture it. If, if nobody said like you. That's the same thing you would do to the person. You're like, yeah. Oh, you're a son of God. So I love you and I forgive you. I care about you. I go out of my way for you. That is the spirit of the kingdom. And that's what the church needs to come into. 
we have tried too hard to serve God. We have tried too hard to love God. But this is love. In this is love. We walk in your love, Father. It's such a beautiful thing. And this is not a message for a series. This is a lifetime culture shift. In the name of Jesus. That as we release your love in the atmosphere, healing flows to hearts even now. In the atmosphere of your love. Your love that binds us together. Your love that has been bestowed upon us. Love forming a bond that nothing can break. Standing together. Declaring a new day. Declaring that there's nothing missing. Declaring that there's nothing broken. Declaring that nothing is absent. We stand in the fullness of who we are in Christ. Because if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. And everything has become new. So we release newness of life right now. Right now, newness of life. Newness of life right now. Newness of mind. Renewal of the mind. Erasing and the deadening and the removing of the sting of mistakes of the past. And we thank you. Your love is beautiful. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.